This is KCLR's Bottom Line with John Purcell. Brought to you with thanks to O'Neill Foley Accountants, the Southeast's largest independent accountancy practice. www.onf.ie Hello, good morning and welcome to The Bottom Line, the programme for and about business on Casey Lauren. Thanks to Brian Redmond for the last two hours of The Breakfast Buffet. This morning on The Bottom Line, we'll be talking about the changing nature of work. We'll hear from a woman who was on her way to a PhD in neuroscience, but who abandoned her studies to do a jewellery course. She'll tell us about her Carlo-based business, which has moved online. We'll hear about a very generous initiative by Kilkenny-based CF Pharma to help local businesses reopen safely after the lockdown and we'll be talking about what lies ahead for business as the government announces revised restrictions for business and society in the run-in to Christmas 2020. But first, joining me on the line to discuss the economic outlook, Brexit and perhaps what we can expect for the year ahead is Jim Power, economist. Jim, we're at a very volatile stage for business and the economy, a Christmas like we've never seen before and uh, I think no matter what, a kind of some variety of a hard Brexit, even if Barry and Frost do agree something over the next couple of uh, days. How do you see the waters that we're heading into at the moment? Okay, um, good morning, John. Um, Delighted to be on the show again. Uh, I think the one thing that this year has certainly taught us is that the most dangerous thing in the world to try and forecast is the future. Because if we bring ourselves back to where we were in January, February, um, you know, the outlook for the Irish economy looked very upbeat. Um, we were kind of concerned about the implications of an economy approaching full employment for business, the consequences of that for wage inflation and for the recruitment and retention of the workforce. Um, and then, of course, in early March, we had the uh, pandemic being declared a, a global issue. And, you know, it, it's been the most extraordinary nine or ten months, I think, hopefully, any of us will ever live through in our lives. Um at, at this juncture, um, I'm certainly a lot more hopeful about what 2021 is going to bring. Um, and the reason for that has to do with epidemiology rather than economics, because the news we're getting on the vaccines is pretty positive. And listening to experts who understand this stuff um, a lot better than I ever could or would um, are pretty upbeat about you know the prospects for vaccines coming on stream gradually as next year progresses and um, what I see happening in in that context is that it's a little bit like a um, a coil a coil spring um, suddenly if you release it um, I think there is potential for a very strong rebound in activity next year provided the vaccine actually delivers what is being promised at the moment and my reason for optimism are on a number of fronts one is clearly a lot of business investment has been put on hold over the last eight or nine months because of COVID-19 secondly and probably more importantly um, we've seen a dramatic increase in the household savings rate in the economy because I think it's it's important to remember that a lot of people in the workforce actually have continued to earn have continued to do well during the COVID-19 period. Um, And, you know, that has meant that household income has continued to grow and savings have been built up because people are either unwilling or unable to spend. So once you release that trigger, um, I think you will see a lot of consumer 
spending power coming back into the economy. Um, the area that obviously I would have deep concern about is that part of our workforce and our economy that has been absolutely decimated by COVID-19. And I'm really talking about the tourism and hospitality sector because, you know, it has had, it has been disproportionately impacted by COVID-19 and the restrictions put in place. And even if we, you know, do see those businesses reopening over the coming days, um, it will still be in a very restricted way. And of course, when we come into January, February, uh, there's always the potential for another lockdown because that appears to be government strategy rather than trying to create a proper um, tracking and testing system, which should have been done after March. You know, we still don't have it in place. So the only real strategy of government, and we're not unique, a lot of governments around the same is basically to lock down economic activity to bring the virus back under control. So what I'm really saying is that the vaccine offers massive hope and optimism, but it is going to take some time still for that to come true. So the first quarter of next year is going to be potentially difficult, nervous, problematic, whatever adjective you want to use. Um, but, you know, assuming and providing the vaccine does come on stream, well, then I, I think the that the future is very bright. In the context of Brexit, um, you know, since June 23rd, 2016, Brexit has had a huge impact on the Irish economy. If you look at the motor industry, for example, if you look at tourism and the UK tourism market, they have both been very adversely affected by Brexit over the last four years. Mm. And we're obviously now... Um, reaching the end game over the coming days we will either get an agreement or not um, if we don't get an agreement and if on the 1st of January um, Britain crashes out of the transition mechanism without a trade deal well then world trade organization trade tariff supply and for the agri-food sector that is extremely problematical but even if a deal is agreed you know it will be a bare bone deal um, and it will still mean that over um, or for, for Irish businesses transacting business with the UK in either direction, you know, life is going to become much more complicated and bureaucratic. And I suppose the other point is that while everybody is looking at January 1st as the sort of end game on Brexit, it's not um, what's the future for the EU-UK relationship um, regardless of whether a trade deal is agreed or not over the coming days, is that there will be just this ongoing, long-term, constant negotiations going on between the two blocks about future trading arrangements. And the analogy you could draw is the EU and Switzerland. There's something like 40 different treaties in place at the moment, and they continue to be negotiated on a weekly basis. So that that's going to be the future. Mm. And um, whatever way you look at it, John, Brexit is not good news for the Irish economy. It is not good news for the UK economy. And it is certainly not good news for Europe. And but it's extraordinary um, that we're, we're talking about it, but it's kind of been brushed under the carpet in the UK. They had appalling financial forecasts during the week and they didn't even factor Brexit into it, it appeared. They're, they seem to be in a state of denial. Uh, yeah, it's, 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 it's quite extraordinary. Um, Sunak, I mean published the economic and fiscal projections for the UK into next year. Um, thankfully, he didn't go much beyond that because trying to forecast beyond a year 
um, is nigh on impossible given the uncertainties around COVID-19. And I would have also said given the uncertainties around Brexit. Uh, but Brexit hardly warranted a mention in the whole statement. And I, I actually, that's not the Treasury's form. You know, there's no doubt about that. I mean, the UK Treasury is a very, very globally high-level, highly respected um, government institution. And in fact, I think Sunak actually, in a, in a different environment, could go down as a really, really strong chancellor. But obviously, the shots are being called from the top by Boris at this stage. And um, it, it is absolutely extraordinary mm. uh, that Brexit is not factored in. Because I've, I've said it to you many times on this show, and I've said it in many different fora, over the last four years, you know, there is no upside for the UK from walking away from totally free access to the biggest market in the world. Mm. Uh, there's no upside. And the only question really is how big will the downside be? Yeah, we, so we're in for a anybody, shock. Yeah. yeah, we're in for a shock no matter what. But do you think we're prepared for Ireland, Inc.? Well, uh, you know, a, a lot of businesses are prepared. And, you know, the bigger... Um, food businesses, agri-food businesses are certainly prepared. You, you'd worry about some of the very smaller players that they, they might find a, a bit of a shock, but they, they will adjust. So I'm, I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm not terribly um, negative about what it's going to mean. I think we'll adapt. We adapt to everything, you know. I mean, we, we've seen some dramatic sterling movements over the years and the economy adapts to that and we will adapt to this again. I have no doubt about that. And I think it's also important to remember that both the Irish government um, and the European Union is going to make high levels of funding available. Um, obviously, the Irish government is going to make funding available for businesses that are most adversely affected within Ireland. But the EU is going to make funding available also. Um, there's a Brexit fund to those sectors and those countries that are most adversely affected. Obviously, Ireland isn't going to get all of that fund because if you are a tulip grower in the Netherlands or a wine producer in France or a car manufacturing Germany, uh, Brexit will have significant implications for you as well. So Brexit is not just about Ireland and the UK. There's a lot of other Northern European economies, particularly, that will be affected. But the EU is going to provide support. And I think the initial year of Brexit will definitely be the most challenging. Um, and that's when the support will be absolutely vital to help businesses, to help economies deal with that. Mm. Um, I, I would see Brexit as just another shock that we're going to have to deal with. And um, I think we will deal with it. Mm. But you know, clear, clearly you'd have to worry about some of the smaller businesses who may get a significant shock. Because yeah. uh, the, the one thing, John, I think that becomes obvious is that almost on a daily basis, you discover uh, different areas that Brexit will potentially affect. Mm. And uh, I, I remember thinking at one stage that there's probably no individual or no sector in the Irish economy that will not be affected to some extent by Brexit. So you're so reasonably it's an economic shock. Yeah. So you're reasonably optimistic about the the uh, the economy with some provisos. I have to ask you finally, Jim. Are you optimistic uh, as a Waterford man about Waterford and Kilkenny later today? Well, John, I have to say this morning I'm quite depressed at the thoughts that my beloved Waterford hurling team are up in Croke Park, a few kilometres away from me, and I can't get to see them. Um, Liam Cahill has really, really 
um, surpassed all expectations with what he's done with that team um, since last January. And I was at their league games before the lockdown and I was really impressed. And I think, you know, what we've seen over the last three or four weeks is very much reflecting that. And I think what we're seeing from the Waterford team at the moment is Liam Cal and the traits of Liam Cal. Uh, the Waterford Sports Club here in Dublin, we organised a webinar with him a couple of months ago and he came across as a very honest um no rubbish, um, hard-working, honest individual. And I think that's been reflected in the team at the moment. Um, so regardless of what happens this afternoon, um, I think it'll, it, it will have been a good year for Waterford. Obviously, uh, we need to get to an All-Ireland final a lot more than Kilkenny would. So, and we all need to win one, obviously, an awful lot more than Kilkenny. So I hope uh, Kilkenny will take it easy on us this evening. If it wasn't for the fact that this is our third Saturday in a row playing or third weekend in a row playing um, I'd be more optimistic but that does concern me mm, well, uh, look, but I think I think we'll give it a good blast well best of luck to you uh, this afternoon Jim and to everyone uh, from Watford and in the, the true spirit of sport may the best team win thank you very much John KCLR Proud to be local. Proud to be local indeed. It's just coming up to 24 minutes after 9 o'clock. John Purcell with you until 10 on the bottom line, the programme for and about business. Good to talk to Jim Power beforehand. And obviously he's feeling reasonably optimistic uh, as Watford people do. But I was listening uh, to our fantastic new podcast this morning, uh, about which is called The Clash Act, which is brought to you by Taggy uh, Fogarty and Eddie Scally. And you can check that out on Spotify. Spotify and they noted the quite confident mood of Watford people so all will be revealed later. We've got full and unrivaled commentary on that big match coming to you after 6 o'clock this afternoon and wasn't it great last night, the Late Late Show I think it gave the country a much needed boost and great to see such positivity but now we're going to get back to business so to speak and we all know that the advent of Covid this year has brought huge changes to how we all live our lives and we've been tracking week in and week out on this programme since February or March the world of work and how it's been changing and transformed. Well this week the results of a global survey of business and HR leaders conducted by Irish firm Harmonix and OI Global Partners was released and it made very interesting reading about the positive negatives and challenges that the pandemic and digital transformation indeed are bringing to the world of work. Joining me on the line is John Fitzgerald, who's the founder and managing director of Harmonix. Good morning, John. Good morning, John. How are uh, you? Good. Well, before we get into the nuts and bolts of this uh, very interesting survey, just tell us a bit about your company. Yeah, so we work with organisations who are going through change and we have four different divisions. We work in organisation design and development. We work in recruitment, in coaching, and then we are doing a lot with restructuring and change through outplacement where companies are downsizing. <clears throat> so you're dealing with companies and how they deal with their employees, how they recruit employees and so on. There's never been really a year like it in business where, where how people work has been uh, transformed so much because of necessity. Uh, you've surveyed that. Just tell us about the top findings. Yeah, so... I guess one of the the top findings is the hybrid work, and that has been 
truly transformational. If you think about it, in March of this year, there were 200,000 people working in that remote type of an environment. Now in Ireland, that's 700,000 people. So half a million people have have really transitioned from from working remotely uh, or, or working on site to working remotely. And I was speaking to a, a business leader, I guess about two months after that happening in, in June, and he said to me, I achieved more change in four weeks than what I was trying to achieve in four years in getting people to be more flexible. So I think there's been a, a huge amount achieved by individual employees and businesses in transitioning from, uh, you know, that very structured way of work that we had to now uh, this digital experience. But I, but I definitely the challenge there is how do you engage people? And that's what came up in the survey was that, that people are wanting a more hybrid form of work. So 70-odd percent of people say, anticipated that that's how we're going to work in the future, is we're going to have a combination of going into work and working from home, even post-COVID. And so, it's striking um, that in Ireland, according to your survey, the feeling of positivity is markedly higher uh, than globally, with 43% of people outside of Ireland thinking that, yeah, sure, um, it has uh, had an impact on positivity, or sorry, productivity, productivity, but more people in, in, in Ireland. Yeah, 69% of Ireland versus uh, 43% globally saw a positive impact in, in productivity. And um, <clears throat> I think that's something that was, um, you know, a, a key highlight. I think the, the one thing to, to manage with that is collaboration was, was impacted. And what we are definitely seeing in the workplace is while people are working harder, um, because there's there's almost less boundaries, and I think people need to manage that around their mental health and well-being, and being able to switch off. The the challenge with that is the collaboration and trying to do some teamwork with teams, and and even brainstorming uh, for preparing for the unknown and the future that Jim was just speaking about. How do we get our team together, and how are we a cohesive team? And I know we've all become. Uh, you know, accustomed to, to working through Zoom and Teams and uh, and all of those digital technologies. But there's, there's nothing replaces the face-to-face contact. And I think people are looking for that healthy balance. Yeah, and I suppose hybrid working points towards a blend of that. And even I know myself, people kind of like the idea of a blend as hopefully we face into a post-lockdown and post you know, COVID future in 2021. How do you think it's going to shape up and what are what are businesses starting to do to plan for that hybrid working? Well, I think the talent will decide that. And even though there are many people who are now on the live register in furloughed, I think there's still a challenge with, uh, you know, a skill set deficiency in the country. And there are certain organisations and certain sectors who can't get the skills they require. And if those talented people, they will dictate what happens in the future. If they want to come back into the office and if they want a more hybrid form of work, which seems to be what, what people want, well, that's what you'll have to do to retain talented people. And we definitely see that in our recruitment division where some people have you know, got job offers and refused them because there wasn't that flexibility from the employer. And I think that is a big shout out to any SME or business leader is that what you've got to be in the future is to be flexible and agile and maybe not see the world as it was 
when you know you could see everybody in your office mm. the challenge now is for managers in that traditional command and control style to let go of that and to trust their people more but also you know that you can create that engagement and that requires more of a coaching skill and increasing that employee engagement and bringing people with you on the journey Whereas I think our productivity in Ireland was getting the job done and we're very good at the busyness of getting the job done. But stepping back from that then, how do we bring people with us on the journey? Especially how do we retain talented people yeah. as we move into to, to a, a period? Can you give us an idea on? of the top skills? I mean, t- take as read the kind of skills of doing the job, driving the truck or, you know, working in the office, compiling the information. But what other kind of um, skills are most valued by organisations? Well, agility is is has come out at number one or two for the last five years. So that I, that ability to to be agile and to upskill and relearn, embrace change is the second one, and that you know, again, in where we are embracing change, we've never embraced so much change in our lives. Collaboration is is huge, and that is the the whole you know idea of um, working together as a team and letting go of information. I think when I joined the workforce way back in the in in the eighties, the idea was that the manager held the information. Whereas I think now lots of people have information within the organisation, and it's 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 your ability to collaborate with others will define your success. Communication skills. You know, what what we found is the impact of technology and even the younger people coming into the workforce seem you know, that's an impact on how do we communicate and, and even in, in Silicon Valley, the number one skill in demand, believe it or not, is oral communications, the ability to speak to others because we have digitized an awful lot of our workforce. And the other one then is, is problem solving and critical thinking. So they're the kind of top five skills that are coming out in the survey. Yeah, now it's interesting, uh, you know, you said about embracing change and agility is the top are the top ones for the last five years, long before COVID was, uh, was invented. So people have had to show these things. So it's very important for business, presumably, um, to keep the agility and the change going because apart from COVID we've had a a digital transformation as well. Well that is in every organisation that I'm going into and I I was working coaching two CEOs this week that's their number one challenge we have the technology, we're doing a digital transformation, we've got a new software like a sales force and we want our people to use them how do we bring the humans with us? How do we bring the people to adapt to the new technology? Because that will give organizations more data and insight. And, uh, you know, I would definitely see, um, and I would request more joined up thinking from government and reskilling agencies in how we, um, we help people to transition to new types of work. Because in the survey, it said that only 16% of organizations in Ireland were reskilling, but 66% said they would do so in the future. Mm. And I'm seeing this all the time, is that people don't almost change and adapt to that change until there's a dire need to do it. And I see it through the, re- through the redundancies we handle when organizations are downsizing. Individuals wait for almost the package to come before they think about their next job mm. rather than anticipating change and reskilling well in advance knowing that the organisation and the business is going to change. Well, look, it's a really interesting survey and uh, people can find it on your website. That's John Fitzgerald, Managing Director and Founder of Harmonix, uh, a great Irish company. John, thanks for joining us this morning. 
thanks Jim and a big shout out to Limerick playing this uh, uh, on, on Sunday as well oh of course so, uh, absolutely <laughs> Best of luck there. Hopefully we'll we'll, we'll get over it and and maybe meet Kilkenny in the final. Uh, Well, fingers crossed. We'll we'll look at that one uh, maybe tomorrow. Thanks a million. Talk to you, John. Bye, Bye, bye. The Bottom Line on KCLR with John Purcell. Brought to you with thanks to O'Neill Foley Accountants, offering a broad range of business and advisory services to businesses large and small across the southeast. You're very welcome back. You're listening to The Bottom Line, the programme for and about business on KCLR. I'm John Purcell with you until 10 o'clock this morning. Now, over the course of the last couple of months, every week we're talking to different businesses from this area who are developing to meet the changing circumstances brought on us by COVID. Mary Burke is one such person. She runs De Burke Design and she's here to tell us this morning about how her business has adapted and changed uh, to the challenges brought about by COVID. But before, Mary, we get into COVID and all that stuff, tell us a bit about your journey uh, to your current business. Thanks, John. Lovely to talk to you. Um, so I'm a goldsmith. I design and make jewellery. And um, I started off my life as a scientist, first first and foremost, and took up an evening course in NCAD in Dublin and decided that bench work and making jewellery was the, my love. I um, trained then with the Design and Crafts Council of Ireland for two years and started working in the trade. And now I have my own workshop at home. So primarily before COVID, I would have sold my pieces through craft fairs and also in the Made in Carlo shop on Tullow Street in Carlo. And I would have also had private commissions. Mm. So, but then March, all yes. that came to a halt. Before we get to that, Mary, can I just take yeah. you back? You're actually on, on the path to a PhD in neuroscience. So you would have been a doctor of neuroscience. Um, tell us a bit more about, about that fork in the road in your career and... and it's quite a big jump to put that on the back burner and take up a hammer and a soldering iron. It was indeed, yes. So um, with the type of research I was doing, I suppose I wasn't making much progress at the time. I started making jewellery because I was creating something physical that I could see. So I could go home in the evening and show the people that I was um, living with, like, look, this is what I made today. And there was a great sense of achievement and satisfaction in that. And that gave me... It gave me great joy, I suppose. That was just what I really wanted to stay doing and keep doing. And so, Mary, um, you'd taken the jump and, and you'd transferred uh, your career uh, concentration to jewellery. How was all that going for you? Oh, it was, it was going quite well. Um, yeah, doing lots of nice private commissions for individual clients and also trying to develop collections of my own designs. Um, so, And I was selling those then through different craft fairs and through the Made in Carlo shop in Tullow Street and um, making lots of plans for the future. Lots of, we had, I had travelled to London to look at um, the Collect exhibition there, which is all about more high-end commission pieces. And um, I was hoping to investigate that line of work as well. Yeah, so COVID uh, landed upon us February, March of this year. How did you react and, and how did it feel to stare into that abyss of not being able to leave your house literally or your studio? Yeah, at the very beginning, uh, like everybody, it came as a dramatic shock. And um, then, you know, I suppose life continued and had to continue. And with both the Carlo Local Enterprise Office and the Design and Crafts Council of Ireland, they were both very quick off the mark to provide supports to small businesses. So 
they would have talks on and lots of training courses, which were really good because it meant that you got to talk to other people in similar situations, as well as receiving the training as well. So even just through that, I got have a lot of what I now call my Zoom friends. So who are handy for bouncing ideas off. Um, and that's and very course. important. So you, you launched a, yeah. a website called De Burka Design. Tell us about that and, and about the process you went through to get it right. So um, through the local enterprise office, I applied for the trading online voucher and that's what has financed the building of this online shop. Um, So I took on building the shop myself because I wanted to have control over the content. As a jewellery designer and a small business, I don't make huge volumes of any particular design, so I need to be able to update my online shop fairly frequently. So um, I learned how to do the the back end as such. I've used Shopify and um, I'm very happy with the outcome. So, and I have also established the Deborka Design Insider email list. Mm. So people can sign up to that. And um, when they sign up to that, they receive a discount code for the shop. Uh, yeah, great. And what kind of stuff do you cover in the, um, the email and your newsletter and so on? So, well, I've only sent... Too. <laughs> so I'm, I'm very much new at this email thing um, and I'm not going to be one of these businesses that will be bombarding people's inbox because my my joy, my passion isn't in writing emails or blog posts. My passion is in creating beautiful jewellery. Mm. So, um, yeah, there'll be, I suppose, you know, if there's an exhibition coming up, please God, once all this COVID has gone away that I'm taking part in, just to let people know what's what's happening within the business as such. Yeah, so the website address is Deburka Design, D-E-B-U-R-C-A Design, uh, and people mm-hmm. can uh, check it out for themselves. But how are you feeling about the future now that you have pivoted so to speak to an yes. online offering um i'm i'm actually really happy that i have built deborkadesign.ie because i'd always thought about building a website or doing it but there was never time so covid has definitely given me that opportunity to do this and do it as well as i can um and uh, there will be exhibitions back and there will be trade fairs and craft fairs back so yeah no i am i'm hopeful for the future so i am Great. Well, look, every cloud has a silver or indeed, in your case, a gold lining. Um, (laughs) uh, So best of luck, uh, Mary, with your website. Just give us the address again. Yeah, it's deburkadesign.ie. The Bottom Line on KCLR with John Purcell. Brought to you with thanks to O'Neill Foley Accountants. Now offering a complete life and pensions advisory service to business. www.omf.ie And good to hear Mary Burke talking uh, with certainty that exhibitions and all that good stuff will be back as we learn to live with and indeed as we conquer COVID. And on that team. Uh, The government made very welcome announcements uh, yesterday about the easing of restrictions in the run into Christmas and joining me on the line to talk about that is Pat Crotty who's chair of the Kilkenny City Centre Task Force. Now Pat we were meant to have you on last week. Apologies Uh, time ran away with us but uh, an opportune time to talk to you. But first um, Kilkenny based company CF Pharma they're taking a really good initiative helping businesses uh, to uh, reopen safely as businesses get ready to do that. Tell us about that. Yes, John. Um, obviously, they're, they're, they're a company that has made great strides this year, have increased employment this year at a time that was difficult for lots of companies, and they decided to, in effect, give back to the city of Kilkenny, and they invested a considerable amount of money, I think €90,000, in providing 
um, hands-free, touch-free um, sanitizer stations and all sorts of other bits and pieces to to make for safe reopening of retail premises in the city or the city centre of Kilkenny and they offered it to everyone, literally, on a first-come, first-served basis and, and there was an orderly queue at their premises for the three days during the week, I believe. I was there myself. Yeah, because they're a company who, like other people, have pivoted and they're including now among their products CleanRight, which is, uh, of course, a sanitizer, as you mentioned. So re- on, on the whole issue of reopening, Pat, you've been closed this year probably for more than you've been open. Um, you run Paris, Texas, of course, uh, a pub of the year uh, awarded uh, a great national honour. Um, how did you take yesterday's announcement by the Taoiseach, Michal Martin? Well, well it, was, it was with mixed feelings um, because obviously I'm a publican and uh, publicans who don't serve food are not being allowed to, to reopen as yet. Um, they'll still fight that or make their case and see see what happens. But uh, obviously, I'm delighted for my own team, for my own customers, and and for our own sanity that we're able to get open again um, next Friday and uh, get back to doing doing what we we do well. And and we did do it through the summer. Um, like I, I mentioned to you yesterday, we were open for for 16 weeks. Um, we had 50 staff who stood in front of an awful lot of customers for those 16 weeks and nobody got sick. Notice the, the measures we put in place worked and we know from our our reviews on Google and, and TripAdvisor that people saw and thanked us for the, the, the kind of safety measures we put in place so that they felt safe. And in fact, we're even upping the bar again for, for reopening next Friday because we've added air filtration now. A Kilkenny-led company again, uh, David McDonald's EcoCool, uh, are providing us with, with machinery, which means we will clean all the air all the time, and it takes everything out of the air, including virus. Yeah, it's it's involved a huge amount of investment for businesses to keep themselves in a position to operate. I, I mean, I remember distinctly meeting you the day before we went into lockdown and you were painting the front of, of Paris, Texas. Presumably you had yeah. to invest considerably in safety measures for those 14 weeks, but you weren't expecting it to be just 14 weeks. Yeah, it was unfortunate. Yeah, we did certainly, yeah. Um, we, we invested in screens, in various types of screens, so that we created, in effect, that almost every table is in its own little snug. You have your own degree of privacy, your own degree of safety from, uh, um, how would you describe it, passive um, movement of air that isn't your own. Um, so that and so that it gives people safety and gives them comfort. And uh, but it doesn't come cheap. Um, an awful lot of an awful lot of. Uh, screens went in, an awful lot of other things had to be changed too, just in terms of logistics. And of course, the, the other thing is staffing. Mm. Um, it takes extra staff. If you, We have people who walk around and do nothing but clean all the shared surfaces all the time. Door handles, uh, you name it, push plates, um, everything to do with the toilets. Any place that is a shared space is being constantly cleaned. That doesn't happen without people. And then to to, to, to uh, try and, and handle all the food, handle all the everything in a way that is absolutely safe. It just takes more pairs of hands. But look, it's, I, I would prefer to have have those coughs and those headaches and be open than, than not. Yeah, and just a reminder, from next Friday, restaurants and pubs operating as restaurants, which is defined as serving a substantial meal, can open for indoor dining with additional restrictions, including a requirement for meals to be prepared on site, inside the premises, with a maximum of six per table. Any idea of what 
what those additional restrictions are yet, Pat? Yeah, but you've, you've actually just mentioned them. The the, the, the only change in, in the restrictions are on the operator, not on the customer. The cost, from a customer point of view, it's as was. So you can have a group up to six and you can stay for uh, 105 minutes. Right. Um, so an hour and three quarters. And be in effect, that we can have the table turned over in, in two hours. The, 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 the additional restrictions relate to operators and it particularly relates to the pubs that you cannot bring in food from elsewhere. You must have a properly operational kitchen and you must produce the food on site. That is is the additional restriction. Okay, well, we're talking to Pat Crotty, uh, publican and also chair of the Kilkenny City Centre Task Force. It's just uh, after 10 minutes to 10. We're going to take a break and we'll be back talking some more to Pat just after this. The Bottom Line on KCLR with John Purcell. Brought to you with thanks to O'Neill Foley Accountants, offering a broad range of business and advisory services to businesses large and small across the southeast. You're listening to The Bottom Line, the programme for and about business on Case Lord John Purcell with you until 10 o'clock. With me on the phone is Pat Crotty, who's chair of the Kilkenny City Centre Task Force and an award-winning vintner uh, running the Paris, Texas Pub of the Year in Kilkenny City Centre. Pat, you're feeling uh, good about the reopening, but some of your colleagues, the, the so-called wet pubs, pubs who don't serve food, must be feeling a bit sore and kind of writing off 2020 as just an absolute disaster. Yeah, well, indeed it has been because uh, um, people were only open for 16 days in the, from the 15th of March. Uh, and indeed, if you're a publican in Dublin or Donegal, you haven't been open at all wow. since the 15th of March. So, yeah, it is extraordinary and very difficult, and very damaging, not just to business, but to, to mental health and to every sort of thing in terms of um, it's very hard to, to, to sort of live in hope and of, of good news someday and the days come and the days pass and, and there's no good news. So yeah. I hope there will be something. I do know that, that um, Leo Bradker, the Minister for Enterprise, met with the, the VFI and the LVA last, as late as last night yeah, so. and did provide some extra funding for them to, to help them to, to continue to survive. Yeah, really, but, uh, really tough. Survival is, is a terrible place to be. You need to get on and do the job that you know you can do well. Yeah. Pat, you're chair of the Kikenny City Centre Task Force. Uh, place is getting ready to reopen now. Uh, I see a statement from Penny's indicating that its stores, which are reopening from Tuesday, will uh, open until 10pm to accommodate kind of demand. Um Coping with the the kind of pent up demand is going to be a, a bit of a challenge for for everybody really because there's such a, a a hunger for getting out and about again and we have to do so safely. Yes, we do. Uh, and yesterday I was on a call with the director of services in the the county council, Tim Butler, and the Garda Shikana, and a couple of other people, and Ian Gardner, the city engineer, literally talking about how do we try and make sure it's safe for people, particularly when this pent-up demand turns into crowds on the street. And so we will find out if the additional width in the footpaths is an assist, if it works. We will find out if our one-way system works with the extra traffic. And the one, and we do hope that shopkeepers will provide the additional service. I do know from the task force that a lot of shopkeepers are saying they will provide extra hours, and it will be on a suck-it-and-see basis that... If people are using it, they will stay open. If they're not using it, they won't. I, I know in previous years, staying open late for lots of people like boutiques didn't really add anything, only cost to them. Mm. But I think this year could be quite different. So hopefully 
and and having an anchor like like pennies as you're saying they will be open that will certainly help to create a, a base load of, of potential customers yeah well finally Pat, um, supporting local yeah. has never been more important i know that's a, a cause close to your heart but you know i think a lot of things have been transformed but it's really brought home to people what it's like when shops and places close so people need to support local to make sure that they can open up after covid yeah, absolutely. And because it isn't about me and it isn't about shopkeepers, uh, it's about all the people that work in them. I mean, we all know people who have been sitting on their hands, uh, living on, on pup, um, trying to make ends meet and trying to do, uh, trying to keep themselves sane. And, uh, it's, it's about the whole community. We're all, we're all in this together, literally. Um, when you get down to the local level, we are, we are all in the same boat and we can help each other and every little helps. I mean, I do my best to support my neighbours that are open every day even if it's only buying a bun or a, a roll or whatever to, that you're 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 uh, keeping some money going into the till for as many as possible and it all it all helps every, every little, little bit, bit helps. helps absolutely well pat that's a good note to finish on this morning thank you very much for that that's pat crotty chair of kilkenny city center task force and pat best of luck to you and everybody else who's reopening uh, next week thanks john Okay, well, that's about all we've got time for this week on the programme. Remember, if you have any comments or ideas you'd like to get to us, you can email us at the bottom line at caseylaura96fm.com or you can get our podcast if you'd like to listen back. Thanks to all the guests this morning, Jim Parrott, John Fitzgerald, Mary Burke and Pat Crotty. Thanks to producer, the patient Deirdre Drummy. We'll be back next week just after nine. Thanks for listening. Have yourself a good weekend. Stay safe. And as things reopen... Just be cautious and don't lose the run of yourself because we're still a bit to go before we get through this pesky COVID thing. But you know what? We will. Thank you. Goodbye. Talk soon. The Bottom Line on KCLR with John Purcell. Brought to you with thanks to O'Neill Foley Accountants, offering a broad range of business and advisory services to businesses large and small across the southeast.